Welcome once again to Maple Grove Kona Church. We are going to continue our series entitled Lent, preparing for the resurrection, because Lent is this wonderful time of year where thousands of people, millions of people around the world reflect upon the life, teaching, suffering, and the death of Jesus. And traditionally, people give something up for Lent. That was my tradition. Growing up, we would give something up for Lent, whether it was TV or ice cream or, or candy or meat on Fridays. We would give something up as, as a way to identify with the sufferings of Jesus. Now, I don't know what your Lenten tradition might have been, but Lent is more than just giving something up uh, for, for, to identify with the sufferings. And more, Lent is more than just reserved for a small group of people to give something up to prepare or to identify with the sufferings of Jesus. Lent is to prepare for the resurrection. Because Lent actually started around the first or second century. It predates Advent as this tradition, as this way of for us to prepare ourselves for the resurrection of Jesus. Lent actually started the first or second century where Christians would give something up, mostly fasting. They'd be fasting as a way to identify. And then around the, the, fir- the fourth century, when Christianity became more normalized in the culture, the church fathers established a 40-day fast in order to identify with the sufferings of Jesus and prepare for the resurrection of Jesus. See, Lent is this time for us to listen to the whispers of the resurrection of Jesus. And this Lenten season, we're joining millions and millions of people around the world, millions and millions of people throughout history by going through this process that our early church fathers established in the church calendar. See, there's this book called The Lectionary that has been a guide for Christians throughout the world to read specific passages to prepare for Easter. And we're joining that movement. We've been reading specific passages over the last few weeks. And this morning, we're going to turn to Matthew, I'm sorry, to John chapter 9 as this passage of scripture that our early church fathers selected for us to study and that millions of people around the globe and throughout history are reading to prepare for the resurrection of Jesus. So if you have your Bibles, I'd love for you to turn to John chapter 9. It's page 1049 in your pew Bibles. And I must admit, I'm, I'm, I'm a little bit excited to study this passage of Scripture this morning because a number of years ago, a friend of mine recommended that I read this passage of Scripture. I was going through a difficult time. There was some, some suffering, some abuse that I was dealing with as a child that was now coming back to the surface. And for whatever reason, I started to remember some, some painful times as a kid. And a, and a friend of mine recommended that I read this passage of Scripture as a way to answer this question that I had in my heart. It was simply this. Why? Why, God? Why do you allow me? Why did you allow me to suffer so much as a kid? Why do you allow so much suffering in the world? Why is there so much pain? Why is our world such a mess? And a friend of mine suggested that I read this passage of Scripture as a way to answer that question. Why is there so much suffering? Now, I don't know if you've answered that, asked that question before. Why is there so much suffering in the world? Why are there tsunamis? Why are there earthquakes? Why do kids get abused? Why, why, why do marriages fall apart? Why is there so much suffering in the world? But if you've asked that question, you're in good company. Because that's what the disciples were asking. That's what these, these first followers of Jesus were asking. They, they saw a man that was blind from birth, and they asked, why? Who's to blame for this man being born blind? So if you have your Bibles, turn to John chapter 9. Verse 1, because in it, we find clues, clues, little hints to answer this huge question. 
Why does God allow so much suffering in our world, in our lives? And John chapter 9, verse 1 says this. As he went along, he saw a man blind from birth, and his disciples asked him, Rabbi, who sinned, this man or his parents, that he was born blind? That's a great question, isn't it? Rabbi, who sinned, this man or his parents, that he was born blind? See, the disciples were asking the question, hey, what's the relationship between sin and suffering? Their question was simply, who's to blame? Why did this happen? Obviously, there's a problem. This boy was born blind. Is it his fault? Did God somehow see in advance that he was going to sin and therefore punish him with blindness? Or is it his parents' fault? Did his parents do something wrong that caused him to be blind? Whose fault is it? Why is this boy born blind? Well, Jesus answers. Jesus answers. Verse 3, Jesus says, Neither, neither this man nor his parents Sin, said Jesus. Don't you just love Jesus? Jesus neither. He says suffering's more complex than that. Sin is more sophisticated than that. There isn't a one-to-one relationship between sin and suffering. There's no easy answers when it comes to the relationship between sin and suffering. Life's a riddle. Life's not fair. We don't always have answers to our questions when it comes to suffering. There isn't a one-to-one relationship between our sin and the suffering that we experience. But one thing's for sure, Jesus said. Neither this man nor his parents sinned that caused him to be blind. But the question remains, why is he blind? Why was this man born blind? Why is there suffering in the world? Why are there earthquakes? Why are there tsunamis? Why isn't there enough water to drink for the kids around the world? Why is there so much pain? Why is our world such a mess? Why is there so much suffering in the world? And before we look at the rest of Jesus' answer, we must remember that God created the world good. Remember, that's what we talked about Week one of Lent, just a couple of weeks ago, we looked back to Genesis chapter two, verse 15, because in Genesis chapter two, verse 15, we said that the Lord God took man and they put him in the Garden of Eden to work and to take care of. Him. Remember what we talked about that God created everything and everything he created was good and that God put Adam and Eve in the garden, this beautiful place, this this world that God created and, and, and God is the head over this good creation. But he created man and woman in his image as equal image bearers to work it, to rule and subdue the earth. They're over nature, but under God. And and he says, you're free. Remember, we talked about you're free to eat from any tree in the garden, but just don't eat from the one. They were completely free to explore, to love one another. They were they were at perfect unity with one another and with God. That was our beginning. That was our creation. But remember, it says, if you eat of it, if you eat from the tree of the knowledge of Eden, when you eat of it, you will surely die. And a couple of weeks ago, we remembered that Adam and Eve actually did take that forbidden fruit and they ate it. And what happened was they died. They didn't die physically right away. That came a couple weeks, a couple years, a couple hundred years. You know, it came a little later on. But they died spiritually. Remember, they were cast out of the garden. And then there was tension between the husband and the wife. There was a power struggle that he would rule over you. So God's no longer in the picture. They've already out of the garden. And then there's this crash in their relationship. They're separated from one another, and the world is cursed. The world is broken. The world is fractured 
because of sin. And what Jesus says to these disciples, when he's asked, why is this man born blind? Jesus says, it's not the parents' fault. It's not the boy's fault. It's this. This is the cause. This is the beginning. This is this broken, fractured world. There isn't this one-to-one relationship between sin and suffering. All the suffering that we experience is a result of this. This broken place that our world has been fractured by. We live outside our original habitation. We live in a broken, fallen world where there's earthquakes, where there's tsunamis, where there's brokenness. It's because of this. This is why there is sin and this is why there is suffering. It is a result of the brokenness in our world. There's this general brokenness in our world that leads to all the sufferings that we experience in our lives today. There's this general, it's neither this nor this, it's this. That's what Jesus, that's how Jesus starts out his answer to the question, why is this man born blind? Why is there so much suffering in the world? But then Jesus gets really specific. After he gives his general answer, he gets really specific to this man's life. Verse 3, again, neither this man nor his parents said, Jesus says, but this happened so that the work of God might be displayed in his life. Why did this happen? Why was this boy born blind? Jesus gets very specific. It's no longer some general question, no longer some general question, this universal question of the problem of pain. He gets very specific. This happened in this man's life so that the work of God might be displayed in his life. See, this, this happened. This isn't some general esoteric answer to the question of the problem of pain. This is really specific. In his life. This happened in his life. See, this is personal. This is intimate. This is God allowing suffering to happen in his life. See, the reason why there's suffering in our lives, the reason why there's cancer, the reason why there's car accidents, the reason why God doesn't protect us from all harm, the reason why we face so much suffering in our lives is so that God can display his work in our lives. Now, that may not sound too comforting to a man born blind. That may not sound too comforting for a woman with cancer or a child with a life-threatening disease, but that's what Jesus said. God didn't cause the cancer. God didn't cause the suffering. God didn't cause the sin. That's here. That's the cause. But God allows the suffering so that God might display his work in our lives. See, so that is so important when it comes to answer the question, why is there so much suffering in the world? So that says there's a reason for my suffering. So that says that suffering is not for nothing. So that says that there's a purpose to my pain. And what's that purpose? Why does God allow it? Well, God allows suffering into the details of our lives so that his work might be displayed in our lives. Now, now that, that phrase work of God, so that, that his work might be displayed in our lives is closely related to the word redemption. In fact, a better understanding of the phrase would be this is a work of redemption. John chapter 17, verse 4 says this. Jesus is praying. He says, I have brought you glory on earth by completing the work that you gave me to do. And what's that work? It's, it's the work of redemption. It's the work of the cross. 
where Jesus died on the cross and he cried out, it's finished. I completed that work of redemption by dying and rising from the grave. But that work of redemption is being completed in us and completed in you and completed in me and completed in this man born blind. And Jesus said, I want to complete this work of redemption inside of you, inside of me, inside of us. See, this happened according to Jesus so that this work of redemption might be displayed in your life. See, suffering is never for nothing. Suffering is always part of God's redemptive plan. Suffering is a wonderful teacher. Suffering has a way of changing and transforming us like nothing else can. So that, Jesus said, the work of God might be displayed in your life. A friend of mine, a number of years ago, was going through cancer. And she was in her early 40s. She's a single person, just a beautiful person inside and out. And, and uh, she went through cancer. And it was, a, it was a very, very difficult journey. She happened to survive it. She survived the cancer treatment. She came to the, to the end of the journey and, and she, she made it. And she survived cancer. And if she was here today, she'd, be say, she'd say to you, cancer changed me. I am much more alive as a result of the suffering that I experience. I'm much more aware of God's presence in my life. I'm much more compassionate for those that suffer. Cancer suffering changed me. It taught me what really matters in life. See, that's what suffering does. And many of you know that. Many of you have experienced that. Many of you know the power of responding to suffering in a way that changes you. And that's what Jesus says. That's what Jesus reminds us of. That suffering is a wonderful teacher. That suffering is a part of God's redemptive plan. That suffering has a way of changing us. And it's interesting that Jesus says it might be displayed in his life. Meaning it might not. You know, not everyone that suffers gets better. Some get bitter. I don't know if you ever noticed that. When some people go through a difficult time, they don't get better. They get bitter. They get angry. They get upset. They get frustrated. And and they shake their fists at God and say, God, why did you allow this to happen to me? And they point their finger at their parents or they point their finger at other people and says, you did this to me or you did that to me. And they say, God, why did you? And they blame God. And instead of getting better, instead of getting, instead of saying, God, why did you allow this suffering to happen to me? What do you want to do inside of me? How do you want to change me? How can you use this suffering to, to, do, to finish your work of redemption in me? They shake their fists at God. But, but, but Jesus says, or, or otherwise, other people answer the question, who's to blame? And, and they answer the question, because you want to redeem me. You want to make me whole. You want to use this suffering, this pain, this trial for my good. See, God allows suffering to display his work in our lives to finish that work of redemption. See, if you're here today and you want God to work inside of you, you want God to redeem you, to sanctify you, to make you more alive, don't ask the question, why am I suffering? Ask, why am I suffering. Don't, don't shake your fist at God and say, God, you did this to me or you owe me or why do I set such a bad marriage or why don't my kids obey or why, why, why? Instead of shaking your fist at God, open your hand to God and say, God, why am I suffering? 
What do you want to do inside of me to change me, to shape me, to make me more like the one I admire most? Jesus. You see, suffering is a wonderful teacher. Suffering has a way of changing it. And usually the things that we hold on to, usually the things that we get so upset about losing, usually the things that we cling to are the very things that we cherish instead of God. And in that time of suffering, in that time of pain, God has a way of, of squeezing that out of us so that God can complete that work of redemption inside of us. See, Jesus said to his disciples in answer to the question, why is this man born blind? Why is there so much suffering in the world? Why is there so much suffering in this person's life? Verse 3, neither. This man nor his parents sinned, said Jesus, but this happened so that the work of God might be displayed in his life. And Jesus continues. He says, as long as it's day, we must do the work of him who sent me. Night is coming when no one can work. While I'm in the world, I am the light of the world. I love that description of Jesus. That self-description. I am the light of the world. And then Jesus does something very interesting to this man born blind, something that I find extremely instructive for us who suffer. In verse 6, having said this, he spit on the ground, and he made mud with saliva, and he put it in the man's eyes. He put new meaning to the word mud in your eyes. He, he spit on the ground. And he had to spit repeatedly. You know, he had to make a mud pie, Right? He had, to, he had to make some mud here. And then he takes the mud after spitting in the ground and he puts it on the man's eyes, preventing him from seeing. And then do you see what he does? He tells the man to walk. Verse 7. Go, he told him. Wash in the pool of Siloam, which means sent. So the man went and washed and he came home seeing. I'm told that blind people can see a little bit of light. And when you're talking to a blind person, they can see a little bit of light that enables them to see who they're talking to. They can't see much, but they can see a little bit of light. And do you see what Jesus does? He takes away the little bit of light that the blind man can see. He makes things worse for the blind man. He takes mud and he puts it in the man's eyes. And then he tells him, to walk. He, he makes things worse before he makes things better. And in complete darkness, without being able to see anything, the blind man obeys. And he walks to the pool of Siloam and he's cleansed. And God heals him. And, 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 and Jesus made this worse for the blind man before he made things better. But isn't that how suffering works sometimes? Isn't that how God works sometimes? That, that sometimes in the midst of our suffering, in the midst of our pain, things get worse before they get better. And for this blind man, he couldn't see where his, he was going. He couldn't see his next step. And although things got worse, although things got a little bit muddy, although things got completely dark... He trusted and he obeyed. He heard the voice of God and he obeyed. In the midst of the darkness, not knowing his next step, he obeyed God's voice and he was cleansed. He was cleansed and he came 
home seeing. See, God used his suffering in his life, in the details of his life, to complete that work of redemption. To to strengthen this man's faith. To open up his eyes to God's power and God's grace in his life. And for those of you that are here today and you ask the question, why is there so much suffering in the world? For those of you here today that are walking in complete darkness, you don't know what the next step is going to be. For those of you here today that are absorbing other people's pain, other people's suffering, God's word to you this morning is simply this. There's a purpose to your pain. That suffering is never for nothing. That God allows suffering in the details of your life to complete his work of redemption to increase your faith, to enable you to see his power and grace in your life. Now, it may get worse before it gets better. And it may get more light. It may get more dark before there is more light. But there's good news. Just do what the blind man did. Even though he couldn't see, even though he didn't know where he was going, he listened to the voice of Jesus and he obeyed. He trusted and obey. He, he heard God's voice and he followed him. Just like that old hymn teaches us. Trust and obey for there's no other way to be happy in Jesus. Just trust and obey. I know it's difficult. I know it's hard. I know that suffering that you're experiencing, the marriage or the kids or the, or the problem with, the, with the, another family member or the sickness or the job or your own past pain. I know it's really, really hard. And it may seem like there's no way out, but there is. There's an answer, a hint, a clue to this problem, to this problem of suffering in your life. And the simple answer is there's a purpose. That, That there's a reason for your suffering, that your suffering is not for nothing, that God allows suffering into your life and the details of your life to increase your faith, to open up your eyes to God's grace and God's power in your life. Do you remember what happened to Jesus that last week of his life? Do you remember the extent of his suffering? I mean, here's Jesus, perfect, didn't do anything wrong. And yet he is beaten, he's flogged. He he bears the weight of the sin of the world. Did he deserve that? No. Did he even want to do that? No. In the Garden of Gethsemane, he deeply struggled. He says, God, take this cup away. I don't want to suffer like this. And he struggled. But what did he do? He trusted And he obeyed. And what happened as a result of Christ's suffering? What happened as a result of the death and resurrection of Jesus? Salvation. Salvation for the world. For Jesus said on that cross, it is finished. I completed the work that you gave me to do. I completed this work of redemption. See, God took the greatest suffering and he made it into the greatest good. God took the the greatest suffering and pain on the most innocent of men and he made it into the greatest good, the redemption of the world. See, that's what God does with suffering. That's what God does to Jesus. That's what God did for the blind man. And that's what God does for you and for me. When we respond to suffering, not by saying, God, you did this to me, or my parents did this to me, or they did that, not by shaking your fist at God, but by opening your hands to God and saying, God, why am I suffering? 
What do you want to do inside of me to redeem me, to make me whole, to make me more alive? Because suffering is a wonderful teacher. Suffering is part of God's redemptive plan. Suffering has a way of changing us like nothing else can. And so for this Lenten season, as we continue to journey down towards the path of the resurrection of Jesus, I just want to have you reflect on a few questions. The questions are going to be on the screen. You can write these down to talk about them with your family or in your community group. But the questions are simply this. Where are you suffering today? What what is your point of suffering? Where are you angry? Where are you frustrated? Where is your point of pain? Is it in the present? Did it happen a long time ago? Is it somebody else? Where is that point of suffering, of anger and frustration? And instead of shaking your fist at God, instead of pointing your fingers at others, would you be willing to open up your hands and ask God the question, what would you like to, to do to complete your good work inside of me through the suffering. How would you like to use the suffering that I'm experiencing for my good and the good of others? Would you be willing to open up your heart to this truth that God allows suffering into your life, into the details of your life to complete that work of redemption, to make you more alive in him? God, we thank you for your word. And although it's times it's hard to hear your word, we thank you for the clarity of it. We thank you for how you answer these questions, not completely, but just enough to increase our faith in you. Because for most of us, we're in pain, we're in suffering. And for many of us, the suffering may not even go away this side of heaven. But we have this truth, this path to receive the sufferings that we all face with the hope that you will use it for our good. And that's what I pray for this morning, O God, that you would use the sufferings in our lives to complete that work in us individually and in your church for your glory. In Jesus name. Amen.